0: Hello, I'm Ellie Wharton. Welcome to the Heart to Mind Transformation Station, sharing stories related to the importance of building legacies that lead to greater health and wealth within your family. Come on, get on board. Welcome to today's episode of the Heart to Mind Legacy Transformation Station. The Heart to Mind Legacy programs are dedicated to sharing powerful personal and family legacies that help shape the uniqueness within our communities. In addition, we will provide insights on how and why every family should implement a plan to share vital information that leads to creating generational wealth. I'm here today with my co-host, Jackie Phillips, fondly known as JP, who is creating a powerful legacy. JP is described as a serial entrepreneur who has served the St. Louis area for over 15 years. JP is an extraordinary researcher, and I am excited to. To welcome her as a co-host to today's show, JP, what's new in your world?
1: Oh man! Uh, first of all, thank you for having me as a co-host. I am honored and grateful. Uh, what's new in my world are a couple of things. Uh, I've launched a Roku channel on her TV on Roku, but the newest uh, thing in my world is becoming an official. Um, member of the Leadership Council for the National Small Business Association. So I'm super excited about that. I'm very passionate about small businesses and entrepreneurship. And so uh, this takes it to another level for me. This
0: is a, a powerful council that you're on. And it's, it's not just a regular council. You are part of a leadership council.
1: Yeah, it was, it's it's amazing. I'm, I'm excited to get started. This is very, very fresh news. I mean, not even a week old, the fresh news. So I'm, I'm eager to get to get started and to, you know, dig my heels into, you know, making some real change, you know, and not just talking about what needs to change, but actually creating change and at a national level. That's it's a it's an amazing blessing to be able to do that.
0: And it'll be a good feed for your um, Unheard Media LLC and Unheard TV. You're going to really have great guests to be able to present because of the exposures that you're going to have, you're going to be introduced to people at a, a very high level. I'm excited for you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'm super excited. I'm fired up about it. So, you know, uh, between, you know, just expanding my horizons and and building relationships, I'm just excited to, to see uh, what it does for, you know, entrepreneurs that I deal with on a regular basis. So, I'm excited about it all around.
0: That is great. And I see that CEO Todd McCracken is excited and proud to have you as a part of your leadership council there. So we're all excited for you. And congratulations. That is exciting, exciting news. And it's such an update. Yeah, because it's important that we stay on top of all the changes going on with small businesses, because small businesses really are the heart of our economy.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: Plus, small businesses yeah. impact how generational wealth is created.
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: It, it starts I mean, there. It, it starts with the neighborhood grocery store that expanded to right. the next level grocery store, which, you know, I mean, when you look in St. Louis and you look at some of the major grocery stores now, they started off, I remember them, they started off as one store, almost just kind of like neighborhood businesses. Now you look at those, those grocery stores and they're dominant in, in the community.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's that's what building a legacy is all about, you know, but we have to start and we have to be informed and we have to be involved more than just, um, you know, running our businesses. We have to understand what's going on all around us, too. So that's that's another reason why this is such an amazing opportunity.
0: And it's important, based on what we're going to talk about today, which is voting rights, that people, especially small business owners, are involved so today, our theme is voting rights and how it affects the strength of our multiracial democracy. We're going to have as a guest, innovative historian, Rebecca Now, who will help us dive deeper into voting rights and its impact on women. But first, J.P., I'd like to recite some grim statistics that were reported by CNN's John Avalon regarding the painful lessons that obviously have not been learned as it relates to the practice of rolling back the opportunity for everyone to participate in the democratic process. Listen to this. At the height of Reconstruction, which we know was like from 1865 to 1877, this was a time when the United States grappled with the challenges of reintegrating into the Union the states that had seceded, but also determining the legal status of African Americans. Listen to this. Back then, there were 1,500 1, black elected officials, but by 1902, there were zero In 1901, there were 180,000 eligible black voters, which we know would be men. Three years later, there were only 3,000. So when you take a look at the 15th Amendment to the Constitution, it basically prohibits the federal government and each state from denying or abridging a citizen's right to vote on account of race or color or previous condition of servitude this is what kills me. It was ratified on February 3rd 1870 as the third and last of the reconstruction amendments but look at where we are today Wow I
1: mean to to hear those numbers it it, it really drives home like we have to we have to be educated and diligent and in, in knowing where we came from to know where we're going. Like that Just that piece of information alone shows this: this the system is literally built to hold us back. And so we can't help that, right? We have to become educated. We have to make sure that we're pushing the agenda forward, uh, and not just for us, uh, but for the generations behind us, and making sure that we're passing this information down, that we're you know, educating through empowerment. I think that, I mean, you you know certain things, but to put numbers to it and to put a timeline to it is almost mind-blowing.
0: It really is mind-blowing because when you take a look at, a lot of people probably don't realize that this voting rights fight began back in the eighteen. 18- Hundreds, the late 1800s, yeah. as we were going through Reconstruction. And then you kind of move a little bit forward to, we're still fighting for that in 1965. Now you tell us a little bit about yeah. that Voting Rights Act of 1965.
2: Yeah, so the
1: Voting Rights Act of 1965 is a landmark piece of federal legislation in the United States that prohibits or should prohibit racial discrimination in voting. It was signed um, into law by... President Lyndon B. Johnson, during the height of the Civil Rights Act. The date for that is August 6, 1965, and Congress later uh, amended the Act five times to expand its protections. And And that that, that last piece, it had to be amended five times. Five times. Five times, right? So again, you know, you said it, this has been a fight. This has been a fight. Amended five times? And now look at where
0: we are today, still fighting the fight as states do everything they can to restrict voters' rights. Yes. That just blows my mind, and especially given my age. Now, certainly I wasn't back there in the 1800s when they were ratifying. I'm not that old, but I was old enough in 1965 to remember it I was almost a teenager by that time, a young teenager. Yeah. But to see that happen now, it really is painful. It's painful to me. It hurts to realize that we really have not moved forward in the effort to sustain a multiracial democracy. But JP, you know, as we did dive deeper into voting rights, we cannot do so without addressing the women's suffrage movement. Because when we look at that, it goes all the way back, 1848, Seneca Falls, New York. There were a group of women and men. They were championed the cause of women's rights. Now, people have probably heard of the the women's suffrage movement. They probably don't realize it was a convention organized by Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, Martha Wright, Mary Ann McClintock, and June Hunt. That marked the beginning of a formal women's suffrage movement. Now, what did I say was the date? 1848.
1: Wow. So the first constitutional amendment to secure votes for women was introduced to Congress in 1878.
0: Uh, 30 years later.
1: 30 (laughs) years later. Right? From 1848 to 1878. But here, wait, I, I, but here's the thing. It failed.
0: Oh, my gosh, don't tell me that.
1: <laughs> that, yes. is, that is amazing. Yes. It failed. So by 1919, uh, suffragists, get, they get another amendment introduced to Congress, which would secure women's writing vote. The 19th Amendment passed both in the House and the Senate. The states ratified the amendment in 1920. So 1848, 1920. In 1920, it was officially recognized women's uh, right to vote, but did not include women of color. So here it is, 1848, uh, 1878, 30 years later, introduced to Congress, it failed, right? 1920, they said, okay, women can vote, but not black women who were an intricate part of this fight in this movement. So for, for women like you and I, there's another
0: layer to this fight. Exactly. Still. And then you have to come all oh. the way to 1965. So when you stop and look at that, it's been over, a it was over a hundred years.
1: Yes.
0: Really before women of color were, were given the right to vote. I mean, just, just crazy. Just it crazy. is. And it makes you realize that we cannot just stand on the sidelines. We have to maintain A fight. And of course, we don't Mm -hmm. mean like get out there in in the streets and fist fight or anything like that, but education, participation, figuring out how to work around things. Like I I could remember that in in one state, they now have, they're trying, I guess, trying to push a law that you can't give water or food to people that are standing in lines. See, me, I would send in a bunch of Girl Scouts. Let's see you arrest the Girl (laughs) Scouts on TV, (laughs) see how far that goes. Yeah, you, right. you have a bunch of Girl Scouts passing out Girl Scout cookies and, <laughs> and, and water, or, you know, lemonade or something like that. And here comes some big policeman going to arrest the little girl. That's not going to work. But we have to become wiser. We have to become smarter. That's right. And have to know right. how to utilize the power that we have in order to make sure that we sustain this right. Because it is under attack right now. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the charge here is is to have conversations like this that are that are intriguing and educational and to to make sure that we don't stop one another uh, and pass that information around pass that information down. Bring it up in conversations. When there are conversations about voting, all of these facts should be mentioned.
0: Because they are they are mind blowing. I know as I was doing research for this piece, it really blew my mind when I really put the timeline together. I thought, my goodness have we really moved forward and we and we know that we have made progress in this country we know that but when i see something like this it makes me shudder because for all of the the yeah. economic and inclusion that we feel that we have as people of color we're seeing that those rights could easily be stripped away. And today's guest, innovative historian Rebecca Now, is heavily invested in education and advocacy for voting rights for women. And she's going to share her perspective on this topic. Let's take a listen. Rebecca, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ellie. It's a delight to be here. In addition to being an innovative historian, you are also a contributing author to two anthologies, and you are a reenactor for Elizabeth Cady Stanton. How did you get involved in this?
2: Well, I'd always been interested as a young woman in women's rights in college, but life got in the way. And in 2013, I was a member of a Toastmasters club, and I was given an assignment to give a speech from history. And I stumbled on a speech by this woman I had never heard of before, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who gave a speech in 1848 at the Seneca Falls Women's Rights Convention. And something about that speech just spoke to me, how direct she was how many rights women did not have, which was incredible and mind-boggling to discover. And I gave the speech. I did a good job. My evaluator said, Rebecca, that was a great speech. All you need is a costume. And I got a costume, and I started giving the speech for friends. And part of what made me want to give this speech is I had never heard of this woman and I was a little angry. How come I've never heard about her? Why wasn't this taught in high school? This was an amazing achievement, the entire women's movement and many high school history books when I was growing up and I've learned from some of my younger friends that it's the same way in women's history or in American history, they will give one photograph and say something like women were granted the right to vote in 1920. That's about it. That's all we learn about it, if that. So I was on a mission to introduce more and more people to who this woman was, and what she did. And it became a big passion of mine. I read every book I could get my hands on, every biography I could find in the library, or I would purchase books. I must now have a 100 books in my personal library about American women's suffrage history. So to say I'm passionate is definitely what
0: I'm all about. (laughs) It's kind of an understatement when you think about it, to have a hundred books, you know, that's obsessive, actually, and you must therefore have tons of information that helps us today to know how do we look at what's going on in today's world, and how do we relate it to what was going on back in the, really, when it started off in the 1800s, trying to get the right to vote for women, and to realize how long it took before it actually became
2: an amendment. is amazing. It took 72 years if you date it from 1848, the Women's Rights Convention. 72 years. These were two generations. And there were three key monumental women who just had a statue placed in Central Park, the first statue in New York Central Park of living historical women. And it was three people, Susan B. Anthony, Soljourner Truth, and... Um, Elizabeth Katie Stanton. I have since, I've been a reenactor now since 2014, and now I've added two other women from St. Louis, one who does Sojourner Truth and one who does Susan B. Anthony. So the three of us have just recorded a film of our three speeches from the 19th century. And our mission is to get those into the hands of as many schools and groups as we can, so that people could really understand how bad women had it in the 19th century.
0: That is really interesting, It's because really it's like your obsession, you've taken that beyond just, I'm really, really passionate about it, but you've turned it into something that's really tangible for everyone to be able to learn.
2: Yes, absolutely. And we're just on, we finished the film, we had a wonderful producer and director here in uh, St. Louis, and we've edited it, and we, we've finalized it, and we're ready to market it. So it's, it's a very exciting time.
0: That is a very exciting time. And you want to specifically take it to schools? Is that, is that your goal?
2: Yes, I would like to see thousands of school children really realize what it was like in the 19th century for women. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Bell Hooks. She yes. recently passed away, a landmark feminist in, thinker. Of the second wave of feminism that started in the 1970s and she has said that our system that we live under economic and cultural is white supremacist patriarchal capitalism absolutely and when she would say that to her college students they would laugh because it's kind of long but think about it that is what we live under and we are Slowly but surely, dismantling the first two parts, the uh, white supremacist and the patriarchal, but they're still there. And then we're making capitalism more conscientious, more conscious, and less exploitative. So we've got a long way to go to uh, wipe out the first two and to make uh, capitalism something that works for everyone.
0: Exactly. And again, when you stop and think about it, as you mentioned before, you know the movement started in 1848, and the first time that there was uh, something introduced, an amendment introduced to Congress in 1878, it failed. Mm-hmm. That was that was shocking to me. It was just like 30 years later,
2: and oh, it was an amazing journey to get this across the finish line. And the more I read about it, the more I. You know, I studied uh, Elizabeth, and you had to study Susan B. Anthony, because they were best friends and political partners for 50 years. These two women devoted 50 years of their lives to this. They both died, I think, uh, Elizabeth died first in 1902, Susan died in 1906. Women got the right to vote in 1920. So I'm curious, you know, I'm like, who did it? How did they do it? Who got it over the finish line? And it was really two brilliant women of the next generation, Alice Paul and Carrie Chapman Cat, and they took it over the finish line. And Cat um, took over the organization that Susan B. and Elizabeth Cady Stanton had started, and she had a winning plan to pass the federal Amendment. They did a tremendous job lobbying every state house and working with President Wilson to endorse it. And then on the other side was Alice Paul, who was in the streets demonstrating, picketing the White House, getting thrown in jail, getting all kinds of publicity. So in a way, these two women ended up being good cop, bad cop, because Carrie Kat could get an appointment with President Wilson and be nice. And then Alice was embarrassing him on the front pages of the newspapers. So between the two of them, he finally capitulated and declared that the women deserved it because they had worked hard during World War I, and it finally got out of Congress. And because Carrie Chapman Catt was so organized, she had an army of 50 million women across the country that went into action that would lobby every state legislature to ratify that amendment. It was an amazing accomplishment. And you had uh, said in your introduction about the passage in 1920, and I just wanted to point out that the 19th Amendment was the largest extension of voting rights in U.S. history. And it really is the legacy of Carrie Chapman uh, Catt. And that According to U.S. Census, the 19th Amendment enfranchised approximately 27 million American women, including 3 million black women. And approximately, of those 3 million black women, approximately 500,000, or half a million, lived in those 34 states that did not have discriminatory voting barriers um, that were adopted by the southern states after the civil war so yes there were black women that were disenfranchised due to the apartheid type laws in the southern states but if you were fortunate enough enough not to live in the south black women could and did vote but all women had the constitutional right to vote. Well, I'm glad that you
0: clarified that because that is something that when you you know when we looked at it it did not seem that it included women of color, but that's a but that's a very good point that women that lived in the north i guess in the east or in the west did have that sure. right. But in the uh, yeah. South, it still was not the case, as was the case, and you know, as you looked at voting rights, you know, up until 1965. I mean, you had, you know, the uh, other amendments that allowed men to vote, African American men, but again, in the
2: South, they weren't allowed to. Exactly, exactly. And there is a lot of misinformation out there about the suffragists, and that they were white supremacists, or they would have, you know, sold black women under the bus, but there's also, a lot of that was misinformation that was not corrected, and Carrie Chapman Cat is one of those people, and they have all kinds of platforms, speeches, and written statements that she supported democracy for everybody, and that will never be a true democracy until every responsible and law-abiding adult, without regard to race, sex, color or creed, has her own inalienable inalienable, and unpurchasable voice in the government. That is a democratic goal toward which the world is striving today. So um, both Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and the two women in the early 20th century wanted universal voting rights.
0: But now, Rebecca, I have to ask, you're, you're really hitting us with, with details, facts, and information. Why haven't we heard of these women? We've heard of Susan B. Anthony. Of course, everybody has heard of Susan B. Anthony. But when you start to talk about Alice Paul, Carrie Chapman Gantt. Yeah. Yeah, even many right. people have not heard of Elizabeth Cady Stanton.
2: Oh, many. I would say in my uh unscientific polls with people when I say I reenact Elizabeth Cady Stanton, I usually always say, Now, it's okay if you haven't heard of her. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> I I think whoever wrote the history books decided it wasn't important. But this was a huge social movement. Exactly. And and to ignore it is uh, just Mind-boggling to Well, me.
0: Well, when we always talk about his story, I guess it's not mm-hmm. her story, is it? It was his story, and therefore, this very important aspect of our history
2: has been overlooked. Absolutely. But it's starting to change, and I'm so glad you said his story, history, because that's the name of my company or my my production for the film. We are Voices of American her story. Her story. and Her story. And three of us, it's three of us now, but in the future, who knows? We could add Harriet Tubman and others to this. I mean, it is changing. Women's history is um, definitely more available than it was even five years ago. Yes, correct. And the, the the suffrage centennial was terrific. Uh, if people watched the PBS programs and learned about the history, you know, it, it's, it's a good thing and it's changing.
0: And it's changing and because be of, people part like, of that. That's thing. right. I'm going to say it's because of people like you who continue yes. to push the history so that other young women and young men as well understand yes. the struggle that has gone on so that we appreciate. And that's what we have to do. We appreciate what has been done for us, and we do not let it lag. We do not sit back and go, oh, well, today I just don't feel like going out to vote because it's a little chilly. You know, we have to stop and think about all of these women, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lucretia Mott, Martha Wright, Marianne McClintock, Jane Hunt, Alice Paul, Carrie Chapman-Catt, Susan B. Anthony, all of these names should be at the top of our list just like other
2: mm-hmm. historians, yes, absolutely. Now, many of them are in the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. You will find uh, Katie Stan's portrait. Uh, I don't know if you'll find uh, Lucretia Mott, but anyway, the, these uh, you know things are changing in terms of their representation, and one of the was the centennial really drove that when we had. Uh, the 100-year anniversary of women's right to vote. And it was during the pandemic that they got that beautiful bronze statue in Central Park in New York. And uh, there's a movement to put trail markers all over the United States about the suffrage efforts. Uh, The votes for women trail, and they have markers that will identify this movement. And this movement was much more than the leaders. You know, we tend to talk about the leaders, but this was millions of foot soldiers, millions of women that went into the governor's office, millions of women that went in and spoke with their state senator and their state representative and said, ratify this amendment. You know, so it's, um, it was a huge movement. The power
0: of her. I think that's what we have to look at it as. Oh, yes, I like that. <laughs> the power of her. Well, you have so much information, and how can people get in touch with you, contact you to find out more?
2: Well, I have uh, a website for The Voices. It is www.voicesofamericanherstory, H-E-R-S-T-O-R-Y, Her Story. story. So Voices of American Her Story. And there you can see a picture of three reenactors and get more information about performances and getting that film into schools.
0: Well, I certainly will do my best. and want to encourage everyone who is listening to visit Rebecca's website, get the information, and then take it to your school boards, take it to principals, take it to school superintendents. Do just like the women back then did. Continue to persevere, stay on top of it, and don't take no for an answer. But this has been very interesting, and I really appreciate you for taking time out today, Rebecca, to be on our show. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You're listening to the Heart to Mind Legacy Transformation Station. Well, JP, it's crystal clear that efforts that have been mounted to destroy our multiracial democracy can and will affect families and their ability to create a legacy through participation, that these issues must be forcefully addressed. However, the first step is education. And that's why I feel that your appointment to this national board, this national council is going to be so crucial because, again, it's not just a council of people getting together to discuss something. It is a leadership council. And we know that local businesses, small businesses, women-owned businesses are the backbone of this country's economy and the legacies. How do you see this?
1: Yes. I see, it, I see it as a great opportunity to mix, you know, the fight that our ancestors had with today's technology, Like, right? Because my approach won't be education just through, well, I want people to research. No, it'll be packaged and presented. We're going to use social media. We're going to use digital marketing. And we're going to use our allies worldwide to bring this fight forward and to show, you know, this is, this is really a fight. I, I really can't describe it any other way. And it has been a fight for many, many years. So, you know, again, conversations like this, but also just being creative and in, in, in making sure future generations don't fall between the cracks on this and they understand the fight that they'll also have. Right. Cause it's, like you said, this isn't over. This is we've made progress, but we are still in a fight. So that you know, this, this this appointment to this leadership council is is a perfect way to um blow this thing up and to get people educated, to get people to see, you know, just how important it is, you know. So again, one layer is women's rights. But then women of color had a whole different layer to add to that. It's important that we take our our opportunities to educate seriously. I love it that really the bottom line is the first step is education and I'm all for
0: it. Well said JP. I I approve what you're saying. And I know that your uh, participation on the NS, what is it? The NA, let me get it right here. (laughs) The NSBA leadership council is going to be crucial to everything else that we do. I don't want to put all the pressure on you, but there is pressure on you.
1: All right, that's all right. I'm built for this. That's what it's all about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really appreciate you being on the show with me, and I'm looking forward to the next show that we co-host. You're just an absolute great co-host. You come with so many resources. I'm looking forward to our future together here on the Heart to Mind Legacy Transformation Station. And thank you all so much for tuning in next Wednesday as we discuss another important topic that affects legacy building that leads to generational wealth. Take care. This has been the Heart to Mind Transformation Station. I hope you enjoyed today's program. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Tune in again next week.